This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right, let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. That's what time it is. What time is it? It's the time where I show up just a little bit grumpy. Hogab's grumpy today, you guys. We got to cheer her up I with know. a. I'm one, so sorry. With a wonderful story about murder. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard anything. Uh, okay, you know what else we gotta talk about? Let me guess. Yeah. Is it the one, the only... Athletic greens. <laughs> These just get further and further <laughs> off the rails. Packed with what, you say? I think it's a supplement, and I think it's packed with superfoods. Oh, it is a supplement that you can add to your water, and with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things that I need right now. It's so great, too, because in the mornings, I'm like rolling out of bed, especially now that I work from home. I don't give myself the full time to get ready. So I'm running downstairs. I'm putting it in. It comes with a little like clear shaker bottle. You put it in there. You shake it up. It takes two seconds. Throw it back like you did in college, and you're ready. I mean, it's a quick easy way to make a big change in the mornings and you won't feel like you did on those mornings in college (laughs) yeah (laughs) don't eat the fruit and athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging again that is athleticgreens.com slash e-m-e-r-g-i-n-g to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's athleticgreens.com slash E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. Okay. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. 
My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Creepers. Are you ready for this week, MoGab? We're going back to Australia. Oh, yes. Yes. This story started out as one thing. Turned into a whole other thing, and then Flip turned on its back and turned into a whole other thing. So Isn't that how all great stories go? (laughs) Yes, and this is a great story. All right, this is about the women of Rockhampton. It was extremely difficult to find much information on this, but this is a story where nothing is what it seems. There was an episode of 60 Minutes in Australia that was semi-helpful with this. And a chapter in a book called Return to the Badlands by Liam Houlihan. Just one chapter? Just one chapter in the book, yes. Oh, don't you start smattering. (laughs) And a smattering, splattering of other people. (laughs) I mean, of other sources. (laughs) (laughs) A splattering of other people, good. A smattering of other sources. All right, here we go. In 1998, Natasha Ryan was a 14-year-old who'd earned the nickname Grasshopper from her dad when she was an infant. Because instead of crawling, she hopped all over the place when she was baby. As a teenager, she was described as free-spirited, but other sources said she was troubled. They said that she had experimented with drugs, she'd attempted suicide in the past, and she was receiving counseling. And then... At 14? Yes. And then, on August 31st, 1998, Natasha vanished without a trace. (sighs) That morning, she'd been dropped off at Rockhampton High School in Queensland, Australia, by her mother, Jennifer. Natasha leant over the console of the car to give her mom a kiss and told her she loved her and then got out of the car. But Natasha never made it to school. She was marked absent for the day, and she never came home that afternoon. Now, Natasha had run away from home before. Just a month before her disappearance, she'd run off with her boyfriend, Scott Black, who at the time was 22 years old. Ooh. Yeah. I just saw Elvis, which, you know, skated over the fact that Priscilla was 14 when they got together and he was 25. Oh, I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Wasn't it? You said that she was dropped off like right in front of the school. Uh Uh-huh. So like she should have just been able to like walk up and go inside. Yeah. Was it like she had to like, she she didn't get dropped off a couple blocks away. No, she got dropped off at the school. I don't think her mom like sat there at Car Rider and like watched her walk in because she was in high school. But yeah, yeah. that's that's the kiss of death. Truly. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But yeah, she got dropped off at the school and never made it inside. 
There was almost no information that I could find about how a 14-year-old girl had a 22-year-old boyfriend. Like, nobody really had commented on this. A lot oh, of- I, d- I know how. <laughs> I know how. Apparently, it's called AOL chat rooms, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why are you I'm- laughing like I'm wrong? Well, apparently, he used to date Natasha's older half-sister, Donna. But I don't have any idea if, like, her family approved of this relationship or what. I can't think that they did. But he said at the time that he'd only helped her run away because she threatened to kill herself. And she was found two days later. And Scott had been fined like $1,000 for willful obstruction from the police. Anyway, when Natasha disappeared again in August, the police went straight to see Scott, hoping she was with him again. But Scott hadn't seen Natasha and police were back to square one. Investigators discovered that the last time Natasha had been seen was by two friends near a Rockhampton movie theater several days after she disappeared. An extensive search was conducted. It it ended up costing like $500,000. Huge areas of bushland were burned to help with the search. And more than 100 volunteers came out to help look for her. This search went on for months. They searched the entire city, but she was never found. But people saw her at the movie theater after? Yeah. She was seen by two friends several days later near a movie theater. Like, not, like, the friends weren't with her. They just saw her? Yeah. I couldn't get any details on these friends Mm. or what they'd seen or if, I don't think they were with her. I think they just saw her there. Did they, and maybe not really, she was, like, missing yet? Or they, she, like, went away before they could, like, call police or get to her or she ran away from Mm -hmm. them when she saw them? I don't know. Meanwhile... Other women were going missing around Rockhampton as well. There was Julie Turner, who was a 39-year-old grandmother who vanished a few days after Christmas, four months after Natasha. There was Beverly Lego, who was 36 when she disappeared in March of 1999. She'd been an athletic star until she was 18 when she'd been diagnosed with schizophrenia. She'd been living in Rockhampton looking for work, and after Beverly disappeared, her handbag was found weighted down by a boat ramp. Her family said she never went anywhere without her handbag and knew that she was gone forever. Who is snatching these women up? Well, that is the big question that investigators want to know. Because there was also Sylvia Benedetti, who was 19 when she disappeared. She was born in Melbourne and had had a difficult life. She'd been molested by her father when she was young, and this Mm -hmm. led to her becoming rebellious. When her mom found out what her father had done, she took Sylvia away and they moved to Mildura. And I'm sorry, Australians, if I mispronounced the stuff. I'm sure I did. But they moved to Mildura, which is about six hours from Melbourne. And there they tried to start a new life. But the change in scenery didn't take away the trauma. And Sylvia still had a lot of problems. When she was 15, she and her mom got in a fight and she left with a guy named Joe who took her to Rockhampton, which is like a 20 hour drive from Mildura. And then there was little Kira Steinhardt, who'd oh been gosh, just we're still going. Yes, who'd been just nine years old when she'd been <gasps> murdered on April 22nd, 1999, just four days after Sylvia had disappeared. She'd been so excited that she was allowed to walk home from school alone. But as she cut through a vacant lot in her neighborhood wearing her school uniform, she was grabbed. This happened in broad daylight. It was 3.30 p.m. on a Thursday. Where witnesses could see, they saw what happened, but none of them were able to act fast enough to help. Like, they saw her get grabbed. Yeah, like, they saw this assault go down. And I don't know why they didn't. I I don't know. But, yes, 
people saw it happen. Right there, this gross old man knocked Kira down and then sexually assaulted her. Witnesses saw him run to his car while taking his shirt off and then drove the car over to Kira, put her in the trunk, and drove away. <gasps> what? what? They I called understand. Pol- I know. Police were called immediately, but not quick enough to save Kira. Search squads poured over the area, combing the banks of the rivers, the bushland surrounding Rockhampton, but they couldn't find her. They did, however, find Kira's killer. He was a truly disgusting excuse of a human being named Leonard John Frazier. Yeah, sounds it. Yeah. (laughs) He was 48 years old and he'd already served quite an extensive stint in prison for multiple rapes. When he was 23, He'd been sentenced to 21 years in prison for four rapes, but he was (gasps) paroled after just seven years. Even though... Why? I'm outraged. I'm appalled by everything. Yeah, even though a court-ordered psychiatric assessment had concluded that he was a classic psychopath with no consciousness and would continue to reoffend, And like they said, as soon as he got out, he was back to raping. He was caught in an attempted rape and put back in prison, but just for two months. <gasps> yeah, like, why aren't you getting put back in prison to serve the rest of your 21-year sentence? Yeah, like... Because again, when he got out, he raped another woman. And this time he was sentenced to 12 years in prison because apparently the courts had learned their lesson where Lenny was concerned because they made sure to make him serve the whole full 12 years this time. Well, good, but that's still not enough. It's still not enough, when, because when his term was up, everyone knew that he was going to offend again, but they couldn't legally hold him any longer, and they had to let him out. When he got out this time, he started hanging out near employment agencies for the intellectually disabled in the hopes that he could pick up women <gasps> that possibly wouldn't be able to sense the danger he posed. Like, I want to quit talking about this person. <laughs> he's pretty bad. He did a lot of other gross, terrible things that I'm not going to say. The chapter on Frasier in the book, Return to the Badlands, can give you all the details if you want. Anyway, by nighttime on the day Kira went missing, police had already taken Frasier in for questioning. His house was cordoned off as a crime scene and forensic investigators started processing his car, which was a little red Mazda. He insisted that he didn't have anything to do with Kira's disappearance, and he told police to look at his record and they'd see he's not a child molester. (laughs) Look at my extensive list of rapes. <laughs> and notice not one child on there. 47 women, no children. But police were certain that it was him. He fit the description and his background was heinous enough that they knew he was capable. Yeah, I don't think you have any like boundaries if that's what you're doing. I don't think you're like, oh, only like you have no You're conscience. looking for opportunity wherever right. it may lead you. Yeah. But he wouldn't tell them anything. For two weeks, he wouldn't say a single word. And this might be because Frazier believed that evidence of sex disappeared after two weeks. He told this to a fellow inmate. He said, just, you where just, did he get? You just got to wait two weeks. All the evidence is gone. It'll be gone. I mean, is there some truth to that, though, if there's not like a rape kit performed? I mean, the longer that anything goes on, evidence is going to degrade. But it's not like two weeks. It's just disappears. It just disappears. Yeah. And over those two weeks, police had found blood samples and five blonde hairs in the trunk of his Mazda. And they were all an exact DNA match for Kira. 
Literally, the DNA came back as a one in four billion chance that it could be anyone but Kira. And there weren't many more than four billion people on the planet at the time. So, yeah, it was her. You're narrowed in, bud. Yeah, his brilliant plan had not worked. All the evidence hadn't simply disappeared because of his refusal to cooperate. So he started trying to make a deal. He said if they'd give him manslaughter instead of murder, he'd take them to Kira's body, which they still had not found. But police would not accept his deal. No deal. They said, you'll show us where Kira's body is, and maybe we will still charge you with murder. And I guess he said okay, because Frazier did take police to the bushland spot where he left Kira's body. 1,500 people came to her funeral to pay their respects. Oh my gosh. The people of Rockhampton wanted to see Frazier hung for this. They were clamoring for it. So it was decided that he wouldn't be able to be tried in Rockhampton. They moved the trial seven hours away to Brisbane. And the town started collecting money so that Kira's mother, Teresa, could afford to travel to Brisbane to be at at the trial every day. Oh, yeah. That GoFundMe is maxed out, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, for sure. Throughout the investigation into Kira's murder, police were uncovering disturbing evidence that Kira was not his first victim. Worst of all was a brown paper bag found on top of a wardrobe in his home that contained four ponytails of human hair. I am I am truly struggling <laughs> through this story. Yeah, like, I know. I am got a lot going on over here so (laughs) all like upset i'm nauseous over the hair i'm like disturbed my dog is laying on my foot it's falling asleep also when they tested the blood in the trunk they found other female blood that was not kira's and then there was a slip up that fraser had made when he took police to kira's body police wouldn't allow him to actually go to the crime scene they didn't want to chance him like messing with it and also wanted to use his knowledge of the location of the body against him at trial in case he, like, recanted his confession or something. So they asked him how he'd left Kira's body. And he said he liked to leave bodies against trees or covered with grass so they looked natural. Bodies. Looking natural. Well, and bodies plural. You know, like, I like, oh, I like oh, to do sorry. this. I've done this more than just this more one than time. Once. Yeah. More than once or twice or five times. Right. So police went back to their files to look for possible past victims of Frazier's, and they were horrified at what they found. All these missing women and girls, Natasha Ryan, Julie Turner, Beverly Lego, and Sylvia Benedetti, all missing from Rockhampton, all within eight months of Kira's death. This wasn't proof. Like all that, that quickly, like all eight months. Eight months. All of them. Yes. And that was how many names? Less than eight, like six? Four plus Kira. It's Kira. And it would okay. turn out later, I don't think I say this, none of those ponytails, I don't think they matched the girls. So there were potentially more victims. This wasn't proof that Frazier had been responsible for their disappearances, but Frazier was a known serial rapist. And it wasn't a big stretch to think he might also be a serial killer. Yeah, I think that was is the next step. Yeah, a lot of times. And at this point, a serial killer had never been convicted in Queensland, which is the second largest state in Australia. So thinking Frazier might be their wow. first serial killer, investigators started trying to see if they could link any of the disappearances to him. We got to move <laughs> out of the United States. This is in Australia. 
No, I know, but I'm just saying, like, oh, that this is, is 1998, first. and that that's the first. Well, it's the first convicted like, serial killer. Yeah, you know. I know, but still. Maybe they have lots of other serial killers, and their police just aren't finding them and convicting them. So, you know, I don't know if that's true. That's what you think. That's what you think is happening in the U.S. is just out here doing I doing think the there's most. a lot of serial killers that we have here that also have never been convicted. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and they have kangaroos in, like, really awesome beaches. Oh, my God. So. I just saw this TikTok of a, a baby kangaroo that, like, kept trying to get in the pouch, but then it kept falling out. <laughs> so oh. He finally made it in there. <laughs> oh, my God. Whoever posted that raccoon video in our Facebook discussion group, if you're not in there, go join it. But mm-hmm. it's like eight to ten minutes of just random raccoonness, mm-hmm. And I and watched it so many times. You know, it's I know. so cute. Anyways. Uh, anyways, back to this horrible story. <laughs> Meanwhile, in September of 2000, Frazier was tried and convicted for the rape and murder of Kira Steinhardt, and he was given a life sentence for that. Oh, good. There was no time to celebrate the conviction, though, because there were many more murders to solve in Rockhampton. A task force was established, and the first thing they did was test the blood in the trunk against the missing women to see if they got a match, and they did. The blood in the trunk belonged to Sylvia Benedetti. She was the 19-year-old that had run away from home. Mm-hmm. They found more of her blood in a room at the Queensland Hotel, which had been found the day this blood in the room had been found the day after Kira's murder. Wait, she is not the one that was dropped off at school. No, that's Natasha Ryan. This is the I one. Use a flow chart. <laughs> I know, and I need to make an. I need to make one for you with this. The next one too. Sylvia Benedetti was the one who had been molested by her father, and she became oh, rebellious yeah. and ran away from home with a guy named Joe. This hotel that this blood was found in was condemned, and it was set for demolition. And construction workers had been preparing for the demolition when they found room 13 just covered in blood. It was <gasps> spattered on the wall. The carpets were soaked in it. There was blood dripping down the stairs, and there were bone fragments scattered all over the place. My gosh. Downstairs in a freezer, they found a pair of shoes that were submerged in dirty water. And they also found witnesses that could put Frazier and Sylvia together at a bus stop around the time that she disappeared. So all of this evidence makes it very clear Frazier killed her. Yeah. The links to the other victims weren't as definite, but there were connections to every single one of them. 14-year-old Natasha Ryan went to the same bowling alley as Frazier. He'd worked with Julie Turner at a slaughterhouse in the past, and he'd been friends with Beverly Lego when they stayed at the same hostel together. Okay, no. This man's bowling, holding a job, and traveling to hostels. Apparently. Another hurdle for investigators to overcome was the fact that police still hadn't found any of the bodies. Police were feeling really discouraged, like the only thing to help them would be a full confession from Frazier. But he wouldn't talk unless he had something to gain. But police weren't the only ones making the connection between Frazier and the missing women. Alan Quinn also had his suspicions. Quinn was a con artist. He'd actually been dubbed Australia's greatest con man, but I'm pretty sure he gave himself that title. And his victims were less than impressed. He was always in and out of jail, so he couldn't have been that good at it. He kept getting caught. But several of these stints happened to coincide with Frazier's pastime in prison, and they'd been friendly. Quinn happened to be in prison when Frazier was sent there for Kira's murder. 
Quinn knew what Frazier was in for, and he also knew that there were all these other women missing in Rockhampton, and he just knew that Frazier had been responsible for them too. He figured if he could get Frazier to talk to him, get that information, Quinn could use that to his advantage. He could get his, his slate cleared. He could get himself out of jail. Mm-hmm. So he contacted the Queensland police, and he ran this proposal by <sighs> them. <laughs> They weren't really happy with the deal. Quinn had been one of Australia's top 10 most wanted fugitives, and they had spent weeks tracking him down to bring him in. But a deal with Quinn was way better than a deal with Frazier, and there were four families that deserved answers and justice. So they were in. It's like the lesser of two very, very evil. 100%. Like, terrible evils. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. So Quinn got to work. He started walking and talking with Frazier in the prison yard, slowly befriending him and breaking down these walls. Quinn listened to some of the most horrific stories from Frazier, but he never gave him the details that he needed. For two years, Quinn kept this up. He listened to him talk about all these horrible things, all the while just suppressing his absolute disgust. I mean, he might be a con artist and like financially screw people, but... He was not about the rape and the murder. Yeah. Which just proved more to himself that he really was Australia's greatest con man, that he was able to (laughs) keep this from Fraser. Yeah. He'd go back to his cell at night and he'd write down as much as he could remember of what Fraser had told him that day. And then he'd pass all this information along to the police. After a while, police gave him a tape recorder and had him tape record all of their conversations. I have never heard of a sting like this happening inside a prison with a prisoner doing it, but I love it. (laughs) Eventually, they were able to arrange it so that Fraser and Quinn were cellmates. (gasps) Oh. Yeah. It's like, I don't know the word, but I love it. I know. I know. And it feels like oceans a lot. Yeah, it does. It does. (laughs) It definitely sounds like it would be a plot on a, like, thriller. Yeah. Once they were cellmates, Quinn realized the true just absolute psychoticness of Frazier, who loved serial killers, thought they were great. The first stroke of genius that Quinn had was to tell Frazier, you know, you only get to be a notorious ser- serial killer if people like know that you're a serial killer. You know, if they don't know, oh. if you want people to know and fear your name, you better tell the police your story and show them where all the bodies are buried. And then you'll just go down in infamy, you know? You'll be and famous. And, like, name every single person. Right. And just name that every you, single you. person that you killed and where all their bodies are and give all that information to police. And then you, sir, will You'll go- be the next Ted Bundy. Right. You know? Exactly. But it didn't work. That didn't work. So- you hear that? You hear that reference, everybody? <laughs> oh, look at you with the only serial killer you know. <laughs> I know. Dang it. Well, now you know this one. Yeah. What's his name? Who cares? Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. He sucks. <laughs> Literally nobody cares. He sucks so bad. So Quinn's next plan was to tell him that he should confess, because if he does, they'll definitely move him out of the prison and into a psych ward, which is what Frazier had been wanting all along. He thought life might be a little bit more cushier there. He'd have more privileges. And eventually, Quinn's persuasions actually worked. He agreed to tell police where the bodies were buried. Wait. (laughs) Yeah. So he could go to a psych ward. (laughs) No. But do you remember, I don't know why this just came to me, but the story you told me where the person in prison was like so high maintenance, like they were like going on a hunger strike because it wasn't vegan 
but like no one cared if they didn't eat and they were like writing demanding like remember that (laughs) yes all was that was that daniel laplant maybe just like uh, (laughs) demanding like better toilet paper and like not eating and like i can't remember Surely that's why Anna Delvey was like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Yes, but anyway, just these people. These people. The governor even flew them out on his own personal jet. And Quinn got to go, too. I'm sorry. These people went on a private jet, and I have not. (laughs) And I have never been on a private jet. Yeah, exactly. Fraser led them into a bushland. (laughs) I can't wait for Russell to put my ass in the toilet back row again. And I'm going to be like, there are literally scum of the earth flying on PJs. (laughs) Frazier led them into a bushland where they came upon the bodies of Julie Turner and Beverly Lego. Mm. Back at the prison, Quinn was able to also get Frazier to admit not only to Julie and Beverly's murders, but also to Natasha Ryan and Sylvia Benedetti. They had found Sylvia's remains near the beach. He told police that he'd buried Natasha with a trench digger, but investigators weren't able to find her body anywhere. Mm. Frazier also confessed to two other murders, one of a female backpacker that he said he'd killed and then dumped in a crocodile pond at an abandoned zoo, but they couldn't find her body there either. Crocodile pond. Yeah. Pretty soon, it became clear that these confessions were not going to lead to Frazier's cushy life in a psychiatric hospital. So he went to Quinn to see. I'm sorry. I sometimes forget where these stories are going. And then I remember. Oh, no. <laughs> it just brings me. Was he asking for a drive. refund? Yeah. Basically, he went to Quinn to see if he could help him reverse all these confessions. You know, the ones where he'd actually led police to the bodies. Yeah. Quinn said, sure thing, friend. And then Frazier incriminated himself even more. He told Quinn that he only knew where the bodies were buried because the real killer, who was named Squeaky, oh goodness, had forced him at gunpoint to go to all those dump sites. He'd like taken him around at gunpoint and forced him to go look at all these dump points. Quinn told him- But guess what? There's still bodies there. Right, because Squeaky had killed those people and then forced Frazier to go look at where he had put them. Makes total sense, Mogab. I don't know what your problem with this is. And Quinn was like, oh, wow, yeah, cool story. Uh, Then you should totally write letters as if you're squeaky, confessing to all of these crimes, and then send them to the media, and then you'll be off the hook. They'll know that you didn't do it because we got the confessed serial killer right in the letters, you know, squeaky. Yep. So that's exactly what they did. In the letters, Frazier made sure to include details that only the killer would know so that the letters would be taken seriously. Frazier detailed the stabbing of Natasha Ryan, his first murder victim, who he'd grabbed off the street in Rockhampton in September of 1998. He talked about strangling Julie Turner at 2 a.m. on December 28, 1998, after she was coming home from a nightclub. She'd stopped on a bridge to roll a cigarette, and Frazier had snuck up on her and struck her in the jaw. Oh my gosh. And then strangled her. He'd also strangled Beverly Lego, who went by Bev. She was a friend of his. They'd met in a hostel in 1997. He'd even given her a TV that he'd stolen from the condemned Queensland Hotel, the one where they found the blood. All the blood. In March of 1999, he and Beverly went to a swimming hole and he like came on to her and she rejected him. And so he punched her and it knocked her out. And then he hung her with a swinging rope and then strangled her with her underwear. (sighs) 
Oh my god, these are all terrible. They're all so terrible. I know. He's the literal worst. Also, I know that it's hanged, but I like Hong. I, I know. know. That's wrong. I hate both of them, but. I, I like that we don't like hanged because the reason I think that we don't like it is because you don't ever hear it used that way, mm-hmm. which means that we're not always talking about people, you know. Yeah. Right. On April 18th, 1999, he'd run into Sylvia Benedetti at the Rockhampton Mall. She was at a very low point in her life. And really, her life had just been a series of low points. She wanted to break up with her boyfriend, who I believe she was living with, but she didn't know how to make it work like financially without him. When Fraser said that he'd solve all of her problems, he said he kept drugs in a room at the Queensland Hotel and she could stay there. So she went there with him. And again, he tried to come on to her. And of course, she objected because he's gross. So he punched her, knocking her out, and then bashed her to death with a wooden block. Four days later, he killed Kira Steinhardt. So it's like you did that. And it's like then four days later, you're doing it again. Right. There's no like, I mean, you you cannot be, you are not, you're not a human being. You're not a human being if you can do that. Right. I don't understand it. Because they picked him up quick after Kira. They, like, knew yeah. it was him because of his, like, past rape. Yeah. How many more people would have died if he had been left to continue, if you're doing this every four days? Yeah, you have a four-day turnaround. Right. All of the details in these squeaky letters would match what police had discovered and what they were still getting back from the lab. All of them except for Natasha Ryan, whose body still hadn't been found. So in August of 2001, Frazier was charged with four murders. And this is, he's already life in prison for Kira's murder. He's already been found guilty of that. He's life in prison. But now they're they're trying to hold him accountable for these four other ones. He pleaded not guilty, you know, because Squeaky did it. And his trial Mm -hmm. began in April of 2003. The families of the four victims had all become very close. They were bonded by their shared tragedy. And they were there to support each other in the face of all of the graphic evidence presented at trial. I could not imagine, like, sitting through that. But I also couldn't imagine, like, not being there for my loved one, you know? Yeah. It's like, what do you do? You sit there and you have to relive it and see it and talk about it or hear it. And then – or you don't go. Right. Those are your two options. Right. It was horrific, but it was clear that there was more than enough evidence to get Frazier on these murders. And then one day in the middle of the trial, one of the prosecutors, Paul Rutledge, he ran up to Robert Ryan, the father of Natasha Ryan, and he told him, we found Natasha. Robert had known it would happen. He'd been expecting it even. They were at her murder trial after all. You know, the family had actually held a memorial service for Natasha on her 17th birthday. So like three years after she had disappeared, it was after Frazier had been charged and they'd released balloons into the sky to mourn her. But still, to hear that her body had been found, it was a tough blow. Yeah. But then Rutledge told him, she's alive. What? Yeah. Police asked Robert. This is some gone girl shit. (laughs) The episode before. Yeah. She's alive. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should Payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. 
Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Police asked Robert to identify Natasha by phone. So he got on the phone and he asked her, if you're my- What? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, you've held a memorial service for your daughter. Uh-huh. Th- she'd been missing for three years. We got her on the phone real quick. Can you just can chat you with just, her? Can you just chat with her? Let us know if it's really her. Oh, my God. I bet his whole body is, like, convulsing, and he's, like, freaking out. I could not imagine this moment. He said, if you're my daughter, what would your dad call you? And Natasha's response was, Dad, it's me, Grasshopper, and I love you, and I'm sorry. It was (gasps) her. Yeah. In the middle of her murder trial, he's talking to her on the phone. Wait, which one is this again? Natasha Ryan, the one from the beginning that was dropped off at school. The one dropped off at school. Okay. Mm -hmm. I I feel so disrespectful asking, but there are several and names are all like, you know. No, it's fine. Ask your questions. We always want to clarify. Ah, but what? Yeah. I feel like I just blacked out. Did you say she called? (laughs) It's her murder trial. It's her murder trial. And also she's on the phone. I'm drinking water right now. <laughs> no, I haven't had a single beverage. I know. I can't imagine what her Do you think they stopped going. it? Like, did they stop the trial? Well, like- the prosecutor had to announce at court that Frazier was not actually guilty of murdering Natasha because she was still alive. Because so, she on the phone. Because she on the phone. 
She had been found the night before on Thursday, April 10th, 2003. It was four years and eight months since she'd gone missing. Almost five years. Was she in the same city? Like, is this like Allison De Laurentiis? Like, she knows there's been a memorial service for her? She was like down the street. (gasps) Police had received an anonymous note that said Natasha Ryan is alive and well. You can contact her at, and it gave the phone number of a home in North Rockhampton. Police had raided the home, found Natasha alive and well, hiding in a cupboard. They call it a cupboard. I don't know if that's just what they call it in Australia. It was actually like a wardrobe. It was like a closet and she was like hiding at the bottom of it. She had been just two and a half miles from her family home this whole time. Four years? Almost five years. Living with her boyfriend, Scott Black, the older I'm boyfriend. Sorry. Like she never once went out to a Starbucks. Nope. Natasha was now. Or Target nope. or to like get a Fountain Diet Coke. Like she did not leave the house for four years. Nope. Yep. Natasha was now 18. She was about to turn 19 in just a few months. Scott was 26. And the most wild part of this whole story is that Natasha was apparently not being held against her will. It turns out that Natasha Ryan might actually be Australia's greatest con artist. Sorry, Alan Quinn. The day her mother had dropped her off at school, Natasha had gone to a motel to meet Scott, something they'd arranged previously. And after that, she lived the first four years in a house in Yapoon with Scott, which is about 45 minutes from Rockhampton. She said that that house holds really happy memories for her, and she thinks of it like a home, not a prison, despite never leaving it for four years. She said they made it a home, and they were happy, and they had a cat. Later, they moved to, (laughs) yeah. Later, they moved to North Rockhampton, I think because Scott, like, got a job transfer. He was like a milkman. He was a milk delivery man, and he got, like, a transfer to. Who do people think he's living with? You just alone. Don't know. Yeah, alone. Yeah. Nobody comes over. Ugh. They moved down the street from her family. They kept the blinds drawn, and Natasha spent her time cooking, working out on some equipment they had in the house, and watching TV. She didn't go to school, obviously, so she studied German on the internet. She couldn't buy clothes, so she learned to sew. And whenever anyone came by, she hid in the closet which is where she was when police had initially come by to check if she was there when she'd first gone missing on rare nights. That's my question. Like, they obviously investigated this guy. Yeah, investigated and cleared him. They didn't, like, snoop around his closets? Apparently not. Yeah, I don't know how they missed her, but... I mean, this girl is missing. You're not going to open up a few doors? (laughs) Pete passed the shower Well, not only is she missing, but the last time that she went missing, she was with you. So maybe let's check a little harder when she's still not found a month later. But they had this serial killer guy and all of these other missing women and it just fit. And then he confessed to it. You know, he said he'd done it. On rare nights, Scott and Natasha would sneak out to the beach nearby and watch storms roll in or just look at the night sky and wait in the water. But that was only like a few times in five years. Those were the only times she ever left the house. And it was only at night. Ugh, and I thought COVID was going to break me. But you know what? That's her choice. Like, Right. I mean, right. And we'll kind of get into a little bit of like, was it? Like, could this po- be possible? Like, the entire rest of the time she was hidden in the house talking to no one but Scott and going nowhere. 
The only people who ever really visited were Scott's parents, and Natasha would hide in the cupboard whenever they came by. Okay, I have so many questions about that. You thought that was a foolproof plan? Like, okay, I'm going to hide in the cupboard, which is like fine if you got to do that for like a week. But these are all the things that should have, could have, would have probably happened in five years. You're menstruating. You get food poisoning. You've got to pee really bad. You have explosive diarrhea. I mean, all of those things could happen to you, and you're in this closet. So apparently- You'd have to sneeze. You'd get the hiccups. Like, I could keep <laughs> going. There, You would blow your cover. They like, you'd have to blow your cover. They didn't come by very often. I think most of the time, Scott would go to, go to their house to visit. His parents did not come over very often. And it, when they did, it was for like an hour. It wasn't for like extended- stays like they weren't staying over they weren't like visiting and like staying in the guest bed for a week you know i don't know they would just kind of pop by for an hour but you know some people have like thought that they were in on it or that they could be in on it because it seems like there must have been someone else in on the scheme perhaps his parents because somebody sent that note to the police yeah maybe it was him maybe he was tired of Hiding her? Yeah. Or her? Maybe she did it because she was being held against her will? Yeah. To make sure they didn't draw any attention to themselves, it seems unlikely that Scott would have been able to buy, say, like, tampons. And this was 1998 to 2003, so it's not like Amazon was really a thing. Natasha said she had to go without bras because Scott couldn't buy them without drawing attention to himself. So some people have really thought, I see men in Victoria's Secret all the time. I agree. I, I thought the same thing. I was like, oh, I'm getting it for my wife or my girlfriend for our anniversary. Maybe because people knew they were together. I don't know. Yeah. And yeah, but I'm like, even if it is like, OK, even if this was such a small town where everybody knows everything, which Rockhampton isn't that small. It's small, but it's not like yeah. a heart of Dixie small. You know, yeah. there's more than seven people. He could have gone to the next town over where nobody knew him to buy tampons, you know, once a month or like stocked up on a bunch or whatever. Yeah, tampons for sure. I'm never wearing a bra if I don't have to. So this sounds like I'm about to lock myself in a cupboard (laughs) for five years so I don't have to wear a bra. So I'm fine with that. But right. So people have used this like her going without tampons for five years. is like proof that somebody else was in on the plan because somebody else must have been bringing them stuff. But I I think that. Easily they yeah. could have gone without or he could She's have easily. She's free bleeding for sure. Yeah. Or popped over to the next town over and grabbed some pads or like put a towel down there or whatever people yeah. did, you She's- know. Yeah. But there was a time where Scott had gotten into a motorcycle accident and he spent two weeks in the hospital, which <gasps> makes you wonder like if she just managed to get by those two weeks, if she had any idea if he'd be coming home. But they she had knew where he was like she doesn't know he was in an accident. Exactly. But I mean, they had phones. He could have called the house and told her, I'd imagine. She probably wouldn't risk answering the phone, but he could have left a voicemail letting her know what had happened. And it's not like she was locked in the house. I mean, she could have left at any time. Yeah. So that's another instance where people are like, somebody else must have been in on it. If she like, how would she have managed for mm-hmm. two weeks? But like, she could have just been eating things that were the last dregs of the pantry. For two weeks, you know, I mean, she could have gotten by. She'd seen on TV that Frazier had been charged with her murder. And at first, she thought it was like a trick to try and get her to come home. 
But once the truth sank in, Natasha decided that she couldn't let someone go down for her murder when she was not actually murdered. Uh, you let this guy go, girl. It's I was going to say, she clearly didn't know what a total horrific excuse for a human he was. So a few months before she was found, she called into like a kid's helpline and told them that she had left home and that someone had been charged with her murder, but that she wanted to go back home, but she wasn't sure how at this point. This counselor had given this information to police, but I guess they had tons of murders to solve and a serial killer to deal with. So the tip hadn't ever been checked out. What? Right. One thing that almost never comes up in any article or blog post about this case is this age difference with Natasha and Scott, which is the most maddening thing to me. Everyone focuses on how Natasha lied and made her family go through hell thinking that she was dead for five years. But like very few people are like, hey, this 14-year-old girl had a 22-year-old boyfriend. Right. I think Natasha thought she was willingly hiding out there, but maybe it was this adult man controlling her. Yeah, I just, I don't know. Yeah, and Natasha says she doesn't think that's what was happening. Like, she was interviewed. They were like, do you think that's what this was? And she was like, no. She says she really wanted to be there and she wanted to be living that life, just stuck in the home. Which is odd because she also says how much she enjoys feeling free. Like, she's on the beach on this episode of 60 Minutes and is like, oh, this feels like freedom. Like, she just seems like an escaped prisoner. It's not too far-fetched, like, a 14-year-old girl who's in love to think, like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna be an adult, you know? Like, I'm going to run off with my boyfriend. Well, you know I, what, what is I she, mean? Beauty and the Beast? Like, just you're not allowed to leave ever? I mean. No, I think she could have, but she, I think, liked being with him, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, I, I, totally. I think that's probably what was going through her head initially. Yeah, but initially. This, I mean, five years of this. How does this go on for so long with nobody noticing? It's just because wild. Well, yeah, I don't know about anybody noticing, but I also think like it goes on so long because think about like it's hard to think back to when you're 14, 15, 16. Like, I don't know. You don't know any like thing better. Like you're you don't have a parents. You don't you know what I mean? Like, well, she did. I mean, she had a really good family. Right. But I mean, like you don't when you're yeah you've run off you don't have anyone right. telling you what to do and you're thinking like i'm grown you well know? and i think it's also one of those things where it's like it gets harder to do the right thing the lo- the more time has gone by because it's mm-hmm. like well they would ask why didn't you come back three years before and i think yeah, also yeah. she didn't want to get scott in trouble because she loved him yeah. mm-hmm. the articles might not be talking about her creepy boyfriend but apparently the people of rockhampton were some thought that he was her protector that was, like, saving her from this terrible home life, but it doesn't seem like her home life was terrible. Her parents were divorced, but she had a good relationship with both of her parents. Mm-hmm. Other people in Rockhampton thought maybe he was very controlling. He was a milk delivery man, which I do think it's adorable that they still had those in 1998. You know, my mm-hmm. grandfather was a milkman back in the day. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Anyway, some of his customers said that he was, like, really talkative and helpful. Others said he was secretive and aggressive, which to me, that seems like you're maybe describing him based on hindsight, like, based on information that you know later on, you know. Other people, including Scott's lawyer, said that it was Natasha who was the controlling one, and he was just doing what she said. And I I say to that, she was 14 and you're a grown man, you know. I don't really know anything about him or his intelligence level or whatnot, but he was at least able to keep a job and live alone and like and take keep a care secret of, and keep a secret and take care of Natasha. 
So I don't think he could have kept a 14-year-old hidden for five years just because she told him to. But yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of what makes sense. And like, you can't make sense out of this. It's, it's just wild. I, I still am like having a flashback of their like standing in court and they're like passing around like a flip phone, like a <laughs> like a Motorola razor. <laughs> I think I think they probably took him like two and I think that was probably like a couple days later, probably. That like someone passed a Nokia. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that wasn't happening in the middle of the courtroom. <laughs> She's calling. No, I. that's how I want to picture it. <laughs> Hold on. I'm about to break the high score in Snake, you know, and they're going to like pause it. <laughs> way, to, way to ruin my Snake game, Natasha. I was yeah. almost at the middle. <laughs> and police were not really sure what to charge Scott with. They're like, crime has been committed but we don't really know which one or what happened They're like flipping through the book right they considered child stealing which is australian speak for kidnapping and he wasn't allowed any contact with natasha for about a year after she was found and in the end he was convicted of perjury and sentenced to three years in mm. prison and forced to pay sixteen thousand dollars he ended up serving and she's not one year she doesn't get in any trouble well a little bit. We'll get to, like, no, she really didn't. So, of course, as soon as she lazarus her way back into the land of the living, everyone was clamoring to speak with her and find out exactly why she had done this. Rumors ran rampant that she'd been pregnant or she'd been a drug addict, but mm. none of that was true. I was wondering if she was on drugs, though, no? No. I think she experimented, like, she was a teenager, but she wasn't, like, an addict. Looking, no. you know. People wanted to know, is she a villain? Is she a victim? What is she? But Natasha refused to speak publicly to explain or apologize to all those people who had searched for her. Remember, there was like 100 people volunteering their time to search for her. But she did then get a celebrity PR agent from Sydney named Max Markson, who got her a deal with 60 Minutes for $100,000 for an interview. And when this news got out, people said that maybe that money should go to repaying the hundreds of thousands of dollars that were spent searching for her. And everyone agreed that neither she nor Scott should be able to profit from this whole thing, especially when the only punishment Natasha got was paying $1,000 for causing a false police search. Yeah. That, That fine should be higher. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just such a unique situation that they were like, we don't know what to do here. This is weird. Are you a run- right. are you a runaway or are you like what on earth? Like you've really complicated things by popping back up here. <laughs> right. And you almost ruined our murder trial. <laughs> Teresa Steinhardt, Kira's mother, said Natasha Ryan needs a slap across the face. How dare she <gasps> put her family through that? Oh, wait, who said that? Her own mama? Kira's mother, Teresa Steinhardt, oh. the little girl that had gotten killed. Yeah, because, I mean. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, I understand why she said that. Natasha did do the interview with 60 Minutes, but she said almost nothing. The only answer f- she could give for why she'd gone into hiding had been that she'd just been angry at everyone and everything and that she didn't want to be at school or at home or there in that life. And then after she ran, she was scared that if she, ca- that if she came back, she'd be sent to prison. 60 Minutes asked her, how she could put her family through so much pain. And she said she honestly just doesn't know. She said she'd pick up the phone to call them, but she couldn't ever go through with it. And when asked why she didn't send them a note just to let her family know that she's alive, she said 
because she was gutless. Like, she wasn't trying to defend herself, but she also wasn't trying to explain either. And yeah. I think probably because she just doesn't know. Like, I, I don't think she knows. Yeah, I don't think she knows why she ran. I, I think, like, yeah, she was annoyed at everything, hated everything at 14. Okay. And then, you know, you run away for a couple months, you come back, but then she let it go a little bit longer. And then she didn't know what to do. And then you don't really know why. And then it's just like it's... And then you think you're going to be in trouble. And then also you kind of like living with your older boyfriend and not going to school every day. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. Her mother, Jenny, said that she didn't understand the state she'd been in when she ran away, feeling the way that she'd felt before. She said when she first heard that Natasha had just been a runaway, Jenny felt hatred towards her. She'd spent five years grieving her when she didn't have to. But she said that as soon and as she saw. Thinking about all the terrible things, like once you think this guy, whatever his name is, yes. killed her or raped her, you're thinking you're like I'm sure thinking replaying the in your absolute brain worst things that could have happened to her. Yes, and, like Ugh. picturing that and like I didn't think about that part. Yeah, Ugh. but she said that as soon as she saw Natasha, all those angry feelings just went away. So now Natasha's 19 and she and Jenny are basically having to start their relationship over. And Jenny said that she didn't trust Natasha and that she'd have to rebuild that trust if she wanted it back. She said she thinks she can forgive Natasha, but that she'll never forget what she did. You're better human than me. I agree. And Robert agrees too, her dad, because she's not in contact with him at all. Mm. I know. Natasha says she wishes she could go back to that moment where she met up with Scott at the motel and make a different choice. She missed out on a lot of milestones with her family. Her little brother, Chris, was only six when Natasha left. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Now he's like 11. How do you explain that? Right. Her older sister had gotten married the year before and Natasha should have been Aww. a bridesmaid. But she had oh, milestones no. of her own in the future because in September of 2008, Two years after she was found, Natasha and Scott got married. I wondered if that was going to happen. They made about $200,000 selling their wedding story to the media. So that's all you have to do, Mogab. Sell your wedding story to the media. They probably want to buy it. (laughs) Listen up, everybody. Any takers. Any takers. (laughs) Today, Natasha and Scott have four children and she works in a healthcare center. Yeah, just like I mean, are they really in love? I mean, according to them, yeah. What? I know. Is that not crazy? Okay, Scott and Natasha. But back to Fraser for just a minute. No, I know Natasha coming back to life didn't do any favors to the prosecutors trying to get a conviction for all the other murders. The defense was able to argue that if he had lied in his confession about Natasha, he could have lied when he confessed to all the others. After Frazier was declared not guilty for Natasha's murder, the defense tried to get the whole trial canceled, but fortunately, they were not successful in that. Oh, good. There was, after all, so much more evidence than just Frazier's confessions for the others. Yeah, there's evidence and bodies. Yeah, and physical evidence, too. At the end of the trial, the jury deliberated for less than a day before they convicted him of murder for Sylvia Benedetti and Bev Lego. And of the manslaughter of Julie Turner. And he got manslaughter for Julie. She was the one that was killed on the bridge. She had stopped to smoke a cigarette or to roll a cigarette. Yeah, got hit, yeah. Yeah. The jury determined that he hadn't deliberately killed her. 
for some reason. Frazier was already serving life in prison for Kira's murder, but he got three more life sentences added to it. He didn't spend very long in prison, though, because like a year later he died or two and a half years after his conviction, he died in prison of a heart attack in 2007 at the age of 55. Ugh. I know. Kira's mother, Teresa, she came to regard Kira's death as ending the curse in Rockhampton. It was Kira's murder that set off this entire chain of events and put a stop to a killing spree of the women and girls of Rockhampton. A -a 24-hour-a-day police station was built on the vacant lot where Kira was snatched from, and there's a small little memorial plaque to her there. And Teresa said, and I just wanted to read this quote because I thought it was just so cool. She said, If only it was there before she was killed. But then maybe Kira wouldn't have walked that way and she wouldn't have caught Leonard. I believe my daughter caught him. It wasn't the other way around. She saved a lot of women in Rockhampton and Rockhampton has honored her. That's so true. Because Mm -hmm. we said if she wouldn't have. If he wouldn't have killed her. Right. He would have kept going. He would have just kept going. And who knows? knows? Because he was picking women that like didn't have strong support systems, didn't have, yeah, you know. Yeah, preying on people. Yes, exactly. Ew. And that uh, is the story of the women of Rockhampton, which I was understand people. just going to be about a girl who, like, faked her disappearance but actually was hiding the whole time. Well, I made the mistake of really, I just Google image them. And mm. also, I'm, I'm dying at the headlines that are like the girl in the cupboard. Remember the book, <laughs> The Indian in the Cupboard? What a good book. <laughs> And all of these pictures are just not, they're not flattering. I know. Not that it they, matters. The ones of Natasha. Like, yeah, and him. I mean, they're just like so bizarre. I mean, I think it's because like early 2000s and like. Well, they also so like, they would, po- they posted pictures of Natasha making like really mean faces. Like. Yeah, they're really so bizarre. Grumpy. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's the story. Wow. Well, thank you for that. You're so welcome. I actually do have something that will cheer us both up. You didn't even know you needed it. Okay, excellent. It's going to really make your day. I'm trying to find it right now. But I forgot that we did this. And I feel so bad because we asked the people for their comments. And then we we didn't acknowledge it. That's what happens when you're just using the Instagram and then you're like, oh, wait. You know, like you forget, you put a question out there. Do you remember on our Instagram story when Uh we asked people if they could be on the show Pimp My Ride, what would the thing (laughs) be in their vehicle? (laughs) I forgot that we did that. We have amazing responses. We never acknowledged it. I (laughs) I don't think I knew that that was put on our story, and I don't think I ever saw it. (laughs) Well, sometimes I take some creative liberties. (laughs) Okay, I can't wait. I can't wait to hear it. I'm just going to read these to you. Wait, okay, what did, what did someone, we say ours were going to be? Uh, mine was obviously like a little Waffle House hibachi bar oh, yeah. with In like a trunk. little like waffle iron. And yours was like a movie theater. Oh, yeah. Like a full on. Yeah. Like a you could pop a projector up out of the trunk. I don't think I said mm-hmm. this before, but now my ideas are going. Pop a projector yeah. up out of the trunk. It just like pulls <laughs> up. You got a popcorn machine right. in the back. You got a soda mm-hmm. fountain dispenser that only dispenses Diet Coke. And maybe Dr. Pepper for some of my friends. <laughs> fountain Diet Coke. Yeah. Right, right. And like I was like the little fountain 
Diet Coke. McDonald's fountain. Mm-hmm. They have the best. I, I think Whataburger, I know that's like regional, but I think their fountain, have you had a fountain? So, I mean, obviously you have. <laughs> I think it's the perfect combination of syrup to CO2. They're good. McDonald's is yeah. the best. There's just no question. Really? There's an absolutely no mm. question. McDonald's, their fountain beverages are superior in, in every way. They, they Unfortunately, that will be the next poll. But I'll lose because <laughs> everyone that doesn't have a Whataburger would vote McDonald's. Well, and also McDonald's is like famous for it. But I didn't even know that they were famous for it when I knew that they dollar. had the best. It's all, it is a dollar, but that doesn't make it taste better. Like I can, No, but they're trying to make you feel like you have a deal. And you're like, you're <laughs> still marking this up like 300%. <laughs> No, you're so right, because I was like really anti McDonald's for a while. I'm not like pro McDonald's, but, I, you know, my, I, 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 I got to care about certain things. It's I can't a dollar. Care, I can't care about everything <laughs> care all at once. <laughs> the burden is too great. <laughs> I was like, I'm really going to stick. I'm really sticking it to McDonald's because I'm only going there for their large Diet Cokes that are one dollar. I'm not buying anything else. And so they're losing money on me because they're <laughs> they like, definitely are not. They're losing money on this dollar Diet Coke. The only reason they put it down to a dollar was to attract people to buy their food. And I'm not buying their food. Therefore, you're it's not working. You're tricking. I've outsmarted them. I've outsmarted you. I'm taking advantage of it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you go, girl. You're doing it. You're doing it. That was my form of protest. <laughs> Oh, man. Mm. A, oh, man. A fountain. Even the fancy fountain drink things. If you just had a Pimp My Ride where it's like that one that has all the different, you know, like the 200 flavors. Those oh, like fancy cups. Yeah, you have yeah, the screen. Yeah. Yes. That could be really fun. Well, some of our peeps and creeps said the following. Okay. A Wonder Woman themed car. Okay. Be really cool. Right. A vending machine filled with an assortment of snacks. I love that. Yeah. This one... <laughs> This one, I have some follow-up questions, but I also respect mm-hmm. a full bathroom equipped with a shower, also a bed and security guards. So that just sounds like an RV home. <laughs> Ma'am, you would like an RV. My dad has a van with a bathroom that fits in a parking spot. Just saying. <laughs> uh, that sounds way creepier than it is. <laughs> Everybody. Her dad is a nice gentleman. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Court Lane with a nacho bar. I oh, yeah. the nacho I'm adding bar. a nacho bar to my movie theater car. Yeah. It's like at Chewy's, if people have a Chewy's, a Mexican oh, restaurant, yeah. at happy hour, they have the Cadillac. It's like literally, it, it's a fake car, obviously, but like the right. trunk is popped and they have the nacho bar. So I was good. more thinking of just the like government cheese, you know, the you press the you press the button down and it just pours out onto your chips. <laughs> government cheese. <laughs> Hamsters running around in little tubes. <laughs> like those little like clear tubes, the hamsters. Okay, but are you promising you gotta swear not to ever don't park ever your car it. in the heat? <laughs> yeah, don't ever think it. Car seats for the dogs with a little window that they can stick their head out, but they can't jump fully out. Almost like the little bubble. You know, like those oh, play places, yeah. the McDonald's, the little bubble. Or like Taylor Swift has that backpack with her cat, like the little bubble. I have a backpack for That's my cat. Ones. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Casey Lee also said a popcorn machine. There's yep. an aquarium. This one, this one really got me. Just in all caps, a working radio. Oh, I've been there. I've been, who was that? Karen? No. <laughs> oh, I thought you said that. Did you did you say who it was? Oh no. Oh okay. I, I didn't want to put them on blast, because <laughs> yeah. they're they're radio busted. I I've been there, girl. I've been there. <laughs> Someone behind me giving me a scalp massage while I drive. That is dangerous. You would fall asleep. Yeah, 
I'm trying to think of a way to make that work and also not be creepy because I don't want like an actual human being. It yeah. would have to be a robot. <laughs> it's a, right. But you're right. It would like be very distracting while you're driving. So I'm like, it could be in the passenger seat. Then or I'm the like, robot, what like, would that do me? It gets caught in your hair. And you're <gasps> no, I couldn't. Oh, that feels dangerous. And last but not least, built in a built in Keurig coffee maker or color changing lights and a crafting table that comes out of the trunk. It's like crafting at a rave. They want color changing lights. But then also like all their craft supplies. So I, I don't know. I love it. I I don't know that I would like to do crafts outdoors. You know, like I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah, it's sit. called the Girl Scouts, and you weren't sit. one. <laughs> I was a girl. Well, I was a brownie. <laughs> I never made it to the Girl Scouts. <laughs> but I sold those cookies. I can't believe we've done two hundred and thirty-seven shoutouts. Yeah, I can. All right. Shout out time. Thank you so much. Shout oh, my gosh. Mogab, how do you get a shout out? We haven't talked about the Patreon at all this episode. Again, we keep doing well, whose that. fault is that? Mine. It's my fault. We're new here. We're, we're new here. We're almost at our two-year anniversary. I know. I was just thinking Ooh. that. That's Gotta wild. Gotta come up with something special. Oh, girl. <laughs> we do. Oof. We do. All right. Are you going first or am I going first? I'll go first. Okay. I'm giving all Oh, wait. Of... We still didn't say how do we get the shout oh. out. How do we <laughs> no, get the shout out? No, Listen, you get the shout outs because you sign up for the Patreon, which is definitely what you want to do, especially all the people in the Facebook discussion group oh, and yeah. in the comments that are like, I'm all caught up. What do I do? You sign up for the Patreon. You get the bonus content mm-hmm. at the $7 level, which is like mini creeps where we talk about all kinds of stuff. You also... Get a monthly bonus episode, another true crime episode. You also get that at the $5 level. And I'll tell I went you, backwards, if you, but, you know. like stories like the Anna Delvey story and the fire fraud story, you're going to want to hear this mini creep coming up on Monday about a little little thing called what Alpha is it? What is it about? 214. It's the Alpha 214 one. We recorded it. You don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Sounds really good, though. You'll be excited to hear it when it drops on Monday. So I can't wait. <laughs> alpha 214. Like Alpha Brain? No. Yeah. This is a group of people, isn't no. it? This is when I told you I had a friend group. Okay, got it. And this, actually, when I say drop on Monday, this will have already dropped when this episode comes out. So, <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, everybody. Someone fire us. <laughs> it's a mess. All right. Time for shout outs. Go. It's a mess. Just like... Nessa, who's our first shot. She's not a mess, but it rhymed. So, <laughs> Nessa, you're not a mess. You're amazing. Thank you so much. Oh, that the next one is me. Uh, Claire Nash. <laughs> Thank you so much, Claire Nash. Claire rhymes with air. Next, Hannah Sullivan, three exclamation points. That better be three. It better not be two because my mom sends every text message with two exclamation points. Drives me nuts. Okay, we'll try three ellipses, which is what my dad sends. <laughs> But Hannah Sullivan with three exclamation parts. You're famous adjacent adjacent. It is uh, three. Haley Kuzik. Haley Kuzik. 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 That's fun. I know. I love it. Haley, thanks so much. You're the best. Kuzik. And last but not least, A. Fenzy 13. That seems like a screen name. Yes. I love that. Is it at A. Fenzy 13? Thank you so it's much. Not, but... Oh, it's not. You're right. Thank you so much. FNZ. FNZ. If you have signed up for your shout out, but you haven't heard it yet, fear not. It will be coming up in a later episode. 
So, And for all the people that are skipping the shout outs, mm. you guys are Mm-mm. missing out. Someone Mm-mm. else told me that they normally skip the shout outs and they didn't. And so they got to hear me ask you to be a bridesmaid. Yeah, but people are missing out on good content. That Why was... don't you want to hear three more minutes of us? Really? Yeah. We might say something hilarious. We didn't this time, but we might sometimes. We might sneak a coupon code in for like yeah. merch or something. Well, we're going to give 20% but... off. We can't afford that. We can't well, be listen, given any more know, okay. coupon codes. <laughs> And with that, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it so much. If you're not yet, go and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Creepers Pod. We have a great true crime creepers discussion group on Facebook. That's so much fun. Go join it. And we should start saying this at the beginning of the episode for all these skippers that are skipping. (laughs) Skippers. Skippers. And uh, join us next week when I'll tell Mocap another wild story. Burks has a neon bandana on. Bye, Bye peeps, peeps and creeps. And creeps. <laughs> <laughs>